Don't call it a comb back I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. In the situation, think about who the Padres are and the swagger that they have. If it's Tatis who hits that home run, oh. I mean, they they probably oh. would have stopped the game. This is the press box. Brought out a full mariachi yes. and had, like, a party on the field. Yeah. Ed Rainey and Adam Candy. For the that. fat toss would still be in the air. The, uh, absolutely. It would still be in the air. Uh, like, Manny Machado would have would have gone out to the mound, pulled his pants yes. down, taken a dump on the mound, <laughs> and said, you pitch through this for the rest of the day. On ESPN Las Vegas. To heck with Tatis. Tired of hearing about that guy. How much are we going to hear about that guy in the regular season? Ed Graney, Adam Candy, and Jared running the show. Tyler out today. Be back tomorrow. Let's roll with some VGK. The first bite. How big of a difference will fans make? (laughs) For VGK at T-Mobile Arena. Oh, there we go. Adam, tonight's the night they play the Wild, which, by the way, I think is kind of getting lost in the old fans uh, fan storyline, given the Wild seem to be pretty good, and uh, no one's really talked about them uh, this season yet. They 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 had a pause there for a bit, and they haven't played as many games maybe, but they're, they're playing really well. Let me ask you this, though. 15%, 2,600. You've been in T-Mobile when it was rocking and rolling with 18,000-plus. How big of a difference is this? Like, how much can they help VGK? Not that VGK has needed much help lately. Yeah, and I think that's really the point, right? How much help have they needed? If you look back yeah. over the history of this team, so this year, they're 8-2-1 and one at T-Mobile. Last year, 22-11-4. Before that, 24-12-5. First year, 29-10-2. They're on a better winning percentage pace than they have been in any year in which they've had fans in the building. Yeah. And to some degree... That's because they've benefited from a weak division over the course of time. They're definitely benefiting from a weak division this year. All that said, I mean, come on, man. You've been in enough of these arenas that have been completely empty, that feel like tombs, to know that any amount of fans has to at least add something, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, we'll finally have the real people calling knights in the national anthem instead of the piped-in uh, knights, which is always <laughs> very, always very bizarre when uh, when uh, Golden Pipe sings his national anthem. But yeah, I mean, I think it was funny because you know as well as anyone when when they played in Arizona, Arizona had fans and half half if not three quarters of the, the the crowd was Vegas Golden Knights fans. They drove down there somehow, were able to gobble up the tickets. I don't know what they would have paid for those because I would have thought. I thought Arizona fans would have at least kind of wanted to see their team, but the Golden Knights fans kind of took over that building. Uh, so I imagine it's going to be fun for the Golden Knights to have people in there. I was reading Mick Aker's story the other day in the Review Journal in terms of fans saying that they're going to adhere to protocols and wear the masks. And, you know, I think some concession stands will be open in their areas selling the exact same things, no specialty food. But, yeah, as good as the Knights are, it's got to give them somewhat of a motivation because – Let's be honest, every every poll since the Knights came into this league said they're the best home arena advantage. So I would guess 2,600 is going to seem like a lot more compared to, like you said, other arenas. 
And I think you can go back to the signing of Alex Petrangelo in the offseason. And when he had his initial press conference, they talked to Alex Petrangelo about this environment. And he said, yeah, by far, it's the right. most difficult to play in in the NHL. And you're talking about a guy who is the captain of a Stanley Cup winning team. So, you know, if a veteran guy is saying, yeah, this is the toughest place to play and the building's only been here for, you know, now in its fourth season, obviously the Vegas fans have immediately created something that doesn't exist elsewhere in the league. So you have to think even a fraction of that same fan base being able to come in is going to be able to create an environment that, uh, I mean, you just mentioned right now, Ed, with the wild coming in is about as necessary as it's been all year long for the Golden Knights. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wild a point back. Um, I mean, all these teams have played different, uh, some have played different amounts of games. I mean, I think, the Knights have four in hand against the Blues, which is crazy. Um, so they're going to obviously make those up, and, and and hopefully everyone can catch up, and there's not many more, if any, pauses. Uh, you know, Bill Foley wanted 20%, um, uh, got a little upset. I've seen his quotes around town where he thought 20% would be okay. I, I mean, I don't have – look, it's it's the first time back. They've got to see how this goes. I mean, I think the health district, health district is saying this is kind of the – the guinea pig here, this and the NASCAR race on Sunday, where they've got to start somewhere. So I'm not gonna kind of rip 15%. They've got to get people in these buildings and see how they can how they can like manage the protocols and get everyone safe. I know Foley wanted more, but I don't know about you. I'm fine with 15%. Look, if it works out and they see it work out through March, I'm sure they'll extend it. But at this point, I think for the Knights, they should just be happy they've got people back in the building. Right, like the idea that there's a difference between fifteen and twenty percent. Yeah, how much is, is that? Is, yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of silly to me, right? Like, yeah. like we saw when the governor changed restrictions on restaurants recently, he raised it from twenty-five to thirty-five percent. Like, please let me know which restaurant owner is out there trying to figure out, like, do I saw a table in half to get to thirty-five percent? Yes. Like, you know, come on. I mean, some of these numbers feel a bit arbitrary, and when it comes to T-Mobile and do we let in twenty-five hundred fans or do we let in three thousand fans? I mean, come on, guys. In the end, it doesn't make that big a difference. You have some fans in the building, and that's a hell of a lot more than you've had to this point of the year. Yeah. We'll see you tonight then what kind of difference they can make. Uh, I think the Knights need to worry about the Wild more than that. Um, Wild are playing well, and uh, actually over the last several games have had, you know, averaged more points than the Knights. They can score, so we'll see about that. want to ask you about this. Uh, coming off the OT win against the Ducks, and they, I mean, Boy, if if you got if you put bets down, look for the Knights and the Ducks. Uh, Knights are four and one this year against the Ducks, fourteen and three all time. Obviously, have dominated dominated them. I want to ask you about William Carlson though. Uh, had the two goals, had the game winner. First goal uh, when he had the great goal early on, sprawling to the ice and still being able to lift it over Gibson. Um, f- first goal in nine games, he's got five total. William Carlson to me is really interesting. We know about his magical first year. Um, he eventually gets the eight year deal with forty seven million. Is there any chance over the last few years in your mind they've looked back and said, eh, eight years for $47 million. we haven't – not that he was going to keep up that first-year pace. That was an incredible year. But any chance they've looked back and maybe second-guessed anything at all given the production? You know, and I don't think so. And I, I'm going to reference Jared's open and say, don't call it a comeback. He's been here for years. Like, right. William Carlson's numbers, with the exception of that 17-18 season – really haven't changed that much and when you look at who he is this year 
for, uh, all right, warning, Ed. We're going to go into Corsi and some other analytics here. Well, listen, uh, it's been seven minutes, and I'm very disappointed we haven't gotten into Corsi well, yet. I mean, well, it's 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 seven oh seven, so let's take <laughs> off. All right. So first and Corsi four percentage, first and expected goals four percentage, first and scoring chances four percentage, first and power play ice time and total ice time for all forwards, second in terms of forwards for ice time on the PK and. I'll just throw this one in there to make you feel a little bit better. Second in total points. Easy one. Easy okay. one. Uh, right behind okay. Mark Stone in total points. He's the only forward on the team who hasn't taken a penalty. I, I think you can make an argument that William Carlson has been one of the two or three best players for the Golden Knights, not counting Marc-Andre Fleury, throughout this early part of the season. And you mentioned the contract, and I think it's important to, to know the context of that and what they paid him, right? They essentially right. paid him a little bit less than $6 million per year. Yeah, like five million, yeah. So if you go line that up against other forwards in the league, other guys who have scored 42 goals in a season, like that really actually seems like George McPhee baked in the fact that William Carlson probably wasn't going to do that again. And William Carlson accepted a contract that suggests he wasn't going to do that again. Right. But the production for the last two and a half seasons has been a good, let's say, 80% of, of what that season was. And right now, he's actually on close to a point-of-game pace for this young season so far. So I, I don't think there's been any regret from the Golden Knights side on William Carlson. But uh, I, I don't know if you've heard anything different around the organization. No. No, not at all. They always praise him. Uh, and maybe it's just the, like you said, the perception of that first year that some have about him in terms of, and, and look, we all said it after the first year. Okay, that's fine. He's not going to do that again. That was a special year, not only for him, but that entire organization. I mean, guys did that first year. We were like, we're not sure he's going to do that again. Not just William Carlson, but a lot of these guys. And that's proven to fruition. It doesn't mean, though, they can't be great pros and, and, and very good for the Golden Knights. Um, it was his first nine games, and maybe it's the goals. Like you said, you you brought up good points about Corsi and percentage and assist and points. Um, maybe they go, maybe he goes nine games, and people say, you know, I think they're saying the same things about Riley Smith this year in terms of production. And when people don't see it for nine or ten games, they start asking questions. But by your numbers, he, he's having a great year. I know DeBoer uh, praises him a lot. Uh, he praised him even with the switching of lines and where he went. Um, so no, I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I, you do hear sometimes, well, well, he hasn't scored nine games, but look at all the else he's doing. I love him and Smith on the PK. Um, they're always a dangerous chance to, uh, to score shorthanded. They've done that several times in the past and you saw his ability. Now the first goal, the stretch pass from, uh, Petrangelo was amazing. I thought that, I mean, that was a great pass, And that's one of the reasons I think he's such a good player, um, I know that more people would like to have him fit in better statistically at the goal the other night so far, but I think we got to give him some time to get the chemistry down. But that goal by William Carlson falling to the ice and being able to lift it over, that's a pretty special goal. That is talent that only a handful yeah. of players have, right? And I think yeah. you, you know that that's in there, and you saw that in the first season. I'll, I'll make this point, Ed. I'll, I'll go and talk about contracts, and I think we always go back to it and say, well, look what they're paying him, right? Look what they're paying right. him. He should be producing more than that. He should be producing like the first year. Well, Mark Stone is making close to $9 million a year on a long-term right. deal for the Golden Knights, right? Right now, if you just were to look at the production over you know, the last season and a half, the full, the full time that Mark Stone has been here, and said Mark Stone's making $9 million a year, William Carlson's making a little less than six, and said to GMs around the league, 
just tell me blind resume. I don't know who these guys are. Which contract do you want? Right? I actually think there would be plenty out there who would take the William Carlson contract if they didn't, didn't know who the two players were in terms of that production. So I don't think we can drag William Carlson for, for the night's problems at all. All right, here we go. We're off and running uh, on a Monday. It's Ed, Adam, Jared's in the studio. Tyler again off today. When we come back, I know Jared's very excited about this. First spring start for the number three pitcher on the Dodgers, Trevor Bauer today. In between innings, I brought him over and had a calm conversation with him and said, we have technology to help you get better that these pitches are strikes. Um, and he had a you know, kind of arrogant attitude about it and didn't want to hear it. And so as he walked off, started the inning, calls a bad pitch on George to start, probably despite me, and off we go. So when we get out there, um, the fact he wanted to throw me out in a spring training game is pretty ridiculous. Um, He's known for, for you know overreaction a little bit, and and obviously he's you know, when you argue balls and strikes you get thrown out. I get it. Um, as it escalated, he said some condescending things that are inappropriate, unprofessional. I'll leave it at that. They weren't talking about anyone on this show. No inappropriate things said here. It's Ed, Adam, Candy, Jared here on a Monday. AJ Hinch coming back. I think it's a few uh, spring trainings ago, but uh, here he is in uh, midseason form. Angel Hernandez, the uh, worst umpire in baseball. Uh, let me ask you this, um, Adam. We're going to play a, a, a clip from him yesterday. Midseason form already. Uh, game yesterday. Um, how does and I know these guys are lifers. This guy's had a lot of run-ins, not only just with players and managers just being terrible at what he does. He's had some run-ins and some uh, things with Tory and Major League Baseball. Is this just a situation where they're lifers, unless it's something completely uh, illegal or, 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 or immoral? I mean, how do they not move on from guys like this? So when it comes to Angel Hernandez, there's the on-field performance, and then there's what you just mentioned, uh, Angel Hernandez suing the league for discrimination. And I mean, we should say Angel Hernandez is Cuban, and is this a Cuban umpire? Um, talk about the discrimination suit. So, yeah, and this suit was from a number of years ago at this point in which you know Angel Hernandez said that he was being discriminated against. And the history here, though, Ed, goes back – a long way, a long, long way. Uh, in 1999, the MLBPA, the Players Association, did a survey, and Angel Hernandez was ranked 31st out of 36 umpires. And so 13 of the umpires who ranked at the bottom of that survey were let go. Angel Hernandez wasn't. Um, in 2006, a player's poll from Sports Illustrated ranked him as the third worst umpire in baseball. In 2013, he was ranked as the worst umpire in baseball. Like, this is not anything new with Angel Hernandez. So in terms of lifers sticking around when their performance is not good, you have to just wonder what the overall backstory is between Angel Hernandez and Major League Baseball. Because it seems that the guy survives a lot of things that other people should not be able to survive. And so I, I, I've one before we go to our sound on this, because this gives you a little bit of backdrop. I'm going to give you a quote. <laughs> I'm going to give you a quote. And Ed, you need to tell me what year this quote is from. Okay. Angel Hernandez is reputed around the league to be an umpire who yearns for the spotlight. Boy, was it 2020? Was that last year? This I mean... quote, this quote is from the International League 
in <laughs> Buffalo in AAA from 1991. This is not a new issue for baseball. This issue stretches back 20 years. Oh. Excuse me, 30 I mean, years. My math is 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. This issue stretches uh, back 30 years. 30 years. And, and yet he's still he's still calling ball straights. This is from yesterday. It's uh, Washington St. Louis in spring training. Uh, you'll all you need to hear any announcers, and it's uh, just off a pitch. He, he's behind the plate and he's calling balls and strikes. And the one one. Angel Hernandez is in midseason form. <laughs> the color guy. I mean, the color guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, I I probably played in front of him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this was just, um, it was the Cardinals announcers uh, uh, just saying he was in midseason form. Play-by-play announcer Dan McLaughlin. Uh, partner chimes in, let's not make this game too fast. Angel, spring training. Nobody even wants to be there at that point. Uh, again, it's just, it, it's amazing that incompetency continues to be rewarded. Adam, I, 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 you might know this. You're an official yourself. They make a lot of money. A lot of the guys have second jobs in the offseason, maybe just to work, but I think they do well enough to where they don't have to have those if they don't want to, and yet we still get clips like this. I, it's funny because when I saw that, I, I know you've seen the clip. Um, I wanted to get your officials mind in here. I actually thought it might be a little low, so my I guess my point is not, not that he's any good. He's horrible, but has it just gotten to be a cliche that anything close that he misses, people will just say this stuff? Has he been that bad to where he just gets no benefit of the doubt anymore? Over the course of 2012 to 2019, out of 101 umpires who worked a Major League Baseball game, Angel Hernandez was more accurate than only 20 of them. Um, So, no, I don't think so. His accuracy rate on balls and strikes is under 90%. So you can assume that Angel Hernandez, who has been in the league for as long as he has, is going to miss one out of every 10 pitches. That's terrible. That is absolutely terrible, and I'll tell you what, the only reason I think that pitch might have been a strike was because it was a breaking ball, probably Mm -hmm. crossed at the knees a little higher than where it ultimately landed, but, you know, man, look, you're right. There's a lot of money involved in this racket, and you have to understand just how many people want the job, too, right? Like, I can tell you thousands and thousands of guys ready to come up. When I show, I'll give you an example. When I have gone in the past to the Mountain West tryout camp, just for for women's basketball, for Division Mm -hmm. One Mountain West games, and most of those officials are probably going to make somewhere in the range of $2,000 per game. You have, I believe the last time I was there, 90 officials competing for probably two or three available spots. Wow. So there is not any sort of you know, supply and demand issue here when it comes to basketball or baseball or, or anywhere else. Like, there are plenty of other people who can do the job. Uh, you do a great job in Vison as well, so i got to throw a number at you. Uh, the number three pitcher today, Jared doesn't like when I say that, but Trevor Bauer will make his spring debut, or at least he's scheduled to, for the Dodgers against the Rockies. Uh, Jared laughs when I say number three, but uh, that's, I think, what he does going into the season. ridiculous. Uh, 104 on the total. I, I know they're really good. I get that. Their lineup. I, I They won 104 in 2019. You're, bring out your uh, your expertise here on 104. I still think a lot has to happen to get with a 104. You can't have, like, major injuries or anything like that. That is a number. Where do you sit on that number? They're obviously got the highest total in the league. 
What do you mean you can't have major injuries? You have Come seven on. starting pitchers. You paid you paid Trevor Bauer $50 million, $40 million on the contract this year, $10 million on the luxury tax. You paid Trevor Bauer $50 million to make sure that Dustin May doesn't get to start. A guy who hit 101 in spring training. That Yeah, keep cackling because that's how you should feel. That's exactly how you should. And oh, what, but 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 Adam, what happens if they have an injury in the lineup? Yes, they can't find happens? a place for they can't find a place for Gavin Lux to get in. So come on, man! Like <laughs> these guys are blessed with an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the, the 104 total. That's one of the high numbers that I've seen. I've seen it as low. It's a as high number. Yeah, I've seen it as low as 101 and a half. Um, okay. Keep keep a couple things in mind with the Dodgers. First of all, there are five teams in that division. Only one other team, the Padres, is trying to compete. The other three are actively saying, yeah, not this year. So with the unbalanced schedule, you're going to see those teams a total of 57 times out of your 162 games. The Dodgers are probably going to go somewhere in the range of 42 and 15 over the course of those games. So if you say that they're going to get 42 wins against the division, now you're trying to add up to the other 62 over the course of 101 games, you're basically saying they only have to play 600 baseball, which for the Dodgers shouldn't be any problem at all. So I don't think it's all that crazy. I definitely would not be betting the under, put it that way. And if I could shop that number down to find it around 101, I would be very comfortable with the over. Now, Ed, can I ask you one Dodgers-related question before we get out of this segment? Um, I picked out that A.J. Hinch clip in particular because I wanted to see is that clip that hate of Angel Hernandez is that enough to make AJ Hinch a sympathetic character for you not to me no no I thought maybe never I could do be. it never will be never will be I'm a in that sense go Angel Hernandez you probably got the call right it's Ed Grady <laughs> Adam Candy we're both at home today Jared's in the Finley Toyota studio we're here for you at FinleyToyota.com when we come back Todd Dewey, and I really want Adam to get into this. I know he's got a lot of opinions. We're going to talk to Todd Dewey, the Review Journal, about Vegas Golden Knights and tout services. Back after this. Back at it on a Monday. It's Ed, Adam Candy, and Jared here on the Press Box. Uh, I wanted to get this story all week, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the observer here mostly for Todd and Adam Candy because they are the experts here. It's Todd Dewey. Follow him on Twitter at TDewey33. He's our sports betting columnist for Review Journal. Hi, Todd. How are you? Hey, good. How are you guys doing? Good. Okay. I know Adam knows a lot about this. I want you to know about this, but uh, you, you, you know all about this. I, I always thought, like, you know, when they signed, when the Vegas Golden Knights signed this deal with Uptick, First of all, I'd, I'd like you guys to explain what this is. But, but here's my point. I think a lot of people, I know we know live in Vegas. You guys are up in the gambling scene. But I still think there's a you know a, a certain part of population who don't know the difference between touts and books and all of that. I, I still think there's people out there like that that might have read this story and said, okay, what's the big uproar here? What What's the deal? I still think there's people out there. I know some people like that. So take us through uptick.com what it was and what what's the difference or why did everyone in the know like you and adam react the way they did because of what this was when the golden knights signed their sponsorship deal before backing out well there's been uh, such a, a notorious reputation for uh tout services over the years for kind of being unscrupulous there's a lot of honest ones out there that sell their picks you know, for money and do their best, uh, give their people their honest opinion. But 
There's been ones over the years um, that have sensational, unsubstantiated claims of success with, you know, incredible records and not promising nothing but win streaks and riches for giving them money for their picks and even, you know, giving out the same, like, opposite sides of the same game to ensure that their clients, at least half their clients, win money. And, yeah, it, it's it's a big difference between books and touts. You know, sports books are in the business. Uh, you know, it's like William Hill is the sponsor of the Knights. And just if you want to put a bet down on the game, go to William Hill. But uh, to, to tell your clients to, to go spend money on some service that you're not even sure is a reputable one is a totally different situation. And it's tough enough to win uh, in the long run in sports betting without having to cover a payment to a tout service. And then also, you know, this one did look on the surface like it was, uh, you know, a little little shady uh, with the promise of 6,000 customers, quote-unquote, making their living off of sports. And it's in the sports betting hotbed of Guadalajara, Mexico. Uh, so <laughs> it was just a little dicey all around there. Uh, as, as you know, Adam. Todd, how dare you go after touts who make their lives in Mexico? Vegas Dave is going to be very upset with you. Um, <laughs> no, and and for, for anyone out there who doesn't know what we're talking about when we talk about a tout, like Todd said, someone who's selling picks, and I think the, the caricature that, if you don't know what we're talking about, the caricature is this guy, Vegas Dave, who was featured in the Showtime documentary action for essentially let's just say selling a lot more flash than substance and when it comes to the golden knights backing this i mean guys you can weigh in on this part it's about the golden knights taking their brand which for so many ways over the last three and a half four years has been pristine in vegas right like they have been lauded in a lot of ways for the way they've marketed the franchise for the way they've been in the community and now you take that brand and you throw it behind the sort of service that in the sports betting industry pretty universally has a terrible reputation. And it's a matter of what are you telling your customers who you've built up this trust with about where they should be putting their hard earned money, especially when it's probably customers who don't know that much about betting in the first place, who are going to do this casually, who would be most prone to using the service. Yeah, exactly. Having the Knights recommending this uh, for $89 a month, it said. And yeah, this, this is the worst call involving the Knights since the major on Col- uh, Cody Eakin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, the Sinbin uh, guys. We need to get that uh, to the Sinbin guys. They'll be all over it. Uh, <laughs> you know, but guys, I think when we talk about, you know, why is this such a big deal on the whole, right? Like, right. Why is this such a, a, a thing? So... You know, we we here in Las Vegas are really used to the idea of sports books being part of what we see day to day, right? Part of what we what we are used to when we walk into a casino. But this is not a normal experience for the rest of the country. And it's certainly not a normal experience for the other cities that have NHL franchises that could potentially copy a deal like this in the new legal sports betting era. And so it's the legal sports betting community the folks who are trying to say hey it's better to bet with a regulated sports book whether that's here in nevada or whether that's a DraftKings or a FanDuel somewhere else as opposed to betting with a bovada or an odd shark or one of the offshores that aren't regulated if you're trying to make that case then you have to be pristine in how you operate 
with regulation. You have to be pristine in terms of managing people's trust and giving them a reason to get into the legal market. And so when you sign this deal, when you go from, hey, it's the Knights and William Hill to, hey, it's the Knights and, I'm sorry, you pick trade out of Guadalajara? Um, like you have gone a long distance to stretching out what could be the trust in the industry. What happens if the Golden Knights recommend you pick trade and you pick trades picks hit at 40% for the first month and someone loses $1,000 beyond what they've spent on the service in the first place and they come back and say, wait a second, you said these guys were reputable, right? You said these guys were the ones who were gonna help me. Like the Golden Knights put themselves in a terrible situation and by extension, it puts the NHL in a bad situation. Yeah, and it's just so, there's just so many negatives and uh, potential pitfalls and the only positive is whatever money they're, they're getting from these guys, I mean, there's all you know in, in any sports book, any bad play at the end of a game, and people are so quick to yell, "The fix is in! This game's fixed!" So any appearance of impropriety, you know, if they pick against the Knights and the Knights lose on some fluke play, um, you know, how many people are going to just be saying I, saying stuff about that and putting games into question? And you know, I spoke with uh, UNLV gaming historian David Schwartz and. Chris Grove of uh, Eilers and Krychik Gaming Research Firm, and both of them were saying this is kind of like a growing pain, really, with the rapid expansion of legal sports betting, and that you know a lot of the pro sports teams and leagues still, still, you know, they want to make money, uh, cash in on the expansion of legal sports betting, but they have to understand that there are some uh, folks affiliated with gambling like this that that you don't want to be associated with. I'm just amazed that the Knights hierarchy, you know, being being in Vegas of all places, there was, you know, hundreds of odds makers that have been doing this for decades. Do you think they could have called one of them and just said, you guys think this is a good idea? Yeah, I want to ask you guys also on, on the, on the t- you know, taking that a step further, uh, both you guys, look, you know, five, ten years ago, we make the joke about the NFL will never come there. We're never going to deal with gambling. And obviously, suddenly they're here. And, you know, that was a hypocritical stance by them, given how much is bet on the NFL on a week, weekly basis, daily basis, really. Were either of you surprised that the NHL, I, at least for appearances sake, didn't have more say in this or someone somewhere along the line, whether it's the Knights or the NHL, or someone didn't say, what are you guys doing here? This probably isn't a good idea. Yeah, I think that's what happened uh, on Saturday when they canceled the deal, you know, a couple of days later. Because, uh, you know, the NHL spokesman said that they were in communication with the Knights on this matter. and But it's up to the clubs. It was kind of unclear, you know, if it's up to the clubs to comply with the rules and regulations of the NHL. Uh, but they were in con- communication, so... Uh, it, yeah, it, it sounds like, yeah, you guys do what you want to do, but you better cancel this. <laughs> sounds like what yeah. it was. Yeah, and my uh, Todd, my understanding, and tell me if you, you heard any differently on this, but my understanding is that there there might have been a little bit of blurred communication between the Golden Knights and the NHL on this initially, that the league might not have had the full picture on this thing um, you know, from the jump. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily – you know, one side saying one thing and the other side would say something different. But I know that the league has generally allowed the Golden Knights to handle, you know, both the the beginning, the middle and the end of this. Well, let me ask you this also, Todd, uh, because we've heard this in the past about, you know, this is, you know, this weird analogy. But, you know, I've covered guys 
in terms of college basketball who've been accused of cheating in the past. And the and the cliche was, well, he either knew where he didn't, and it's worse if he didn't, because like who's running the show if he doesn't know they're cheating? Is it a sense, obviously, that there was no cheating here, but in this decision, is it almost worse if they're if they play, you know, kind of the, hey, we messed up, we didn't know enough about this? That, to me, is a little dangerous if you haven't done the research. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, that, I agree with that. I think that's what happened, really, that just a little uh, naivete here, and uh, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into, and they should have did a little more, you know, research into this. And, and like I said, you're in the betting hotbed, you know, the sports, the betting capital of the world here, you would think they could have reached out to just a couple of people before they went ahead with this to, to make sure it was a good idea. And, and any of the, you know, dozen, hundreds of odds makers in town would have told them it was not. Yeah. I, I need to direct one quick, uh, one quick thought out to uh, listener Sean, who's one of our uh, faithful listeners on press box and Cofield and company. And, and he's been saying that this opens the door for the Vegas Golden Knights to bring in Vegas Dave, that there's a natural synergy here now that the uh, now that the door's open. What do you think, Todd? Is this just a natural <laughs> oh extension God. of the whole thing? <laughs> Please, I'm going to say a silent prayer that they do not do that. <laughs> no, I think everyone has learned their lesson here. I think everyone has learned. Uh, they <laughs> yeah. back. They backed off, Todd. I know you wrote the story. Was there? Uh, I think it, they they left the statement pretty uh, clear and simple go beyond just that they had backed out yeah the you know three days after making the deal with uh, this company they they said saturday of course that um they were backing out of the deal would have no further comment and uh, they just left it at that so uh you know at least they did the right thing and got out of this deal uh, almost as soon as they got into it well 72 hours later they did the right thing they came off it and uh great reporting by you the whole way through follow him on twitter at t dewey 33 does a great job for the review journal as the sports betting columnist and he will tell you on a daily basis what books to follow and what mexican touts not to thanks buddy <laughs> <laughs> adios there he is uh adam i uh we're gonna break but i i know you had a lot to say this on twitter and you were just dumbfounded as well as why this happened yeah, and we'll we'll get into it uh, a little yeah. more as the show goes on. Uh, but we wrote about it. You know, you, Todd did a great job at the RJ. We wrote about it at Legal Sports Report. It's just something that, you know, even those of us who are not as well versed, I think, probably looked at this and said it should have probably gotten stopped somewhere along the way. All right, when we come back, big uh, big game on uh, deck for UNLV basketball this week. They get the number one team in the conference. We'll talk about the Rebels back after this. Caleb. Gets the inbound pass to Jenkins. Jenkins, a one-footed runner from about 14 feet off the glass and in. Big-time shot there for the Rebels, 68-65. Thanks to Todd Dewey. Appreciate his time. Ryan Hockey Guy, Ryan Wallace at 8.30. We'll go over more of this VGK. The Jameson, Jameson Welsh at 9 with all your NBA inside info. And Aviators President Don Logan will join us about 9.30 the ballpark going to be open again. Uh, have uh, uh, We'll talk to Don about the fans there, how many there could be, and getting back to uh, minor league baseball here in Las Vegas. First, though, uh, Rebels, Adam, get the split with Fresno, 68-67. You hear John Sandler coming back, little uh, runner from David Jenkins. Um, this I want to ask you about this. So Wednesday, uh, they're going to host San Diego State at 6 p.m. at the Thomas and Mac. Uh, Tyler and I have talked about this the last few weeks. Um, 
there's a feeling among coaches, and I think all coaches, that, you know what, this is the week before the conference tournament. You're trying to get as many teams in the NCAA tournament as you can. At this point, you see different bracketologies. Some have four, some have three. Colorado State, last four in, first four out. And as a conference, uh, they are making up most, if not all, of these games that they missed because of pauses. Uh, I think the coach's argument was, if you do this, and there are upsets along the way against you know, whether Ken Palm or teams that really rank low, let's say the Rebels, you could hurt a team getting in. A lot of us just say, you know, show up and beat them and just win the game you should be able to win. Did you hold any credence to that? Where, like, why are you doing this if you don't know? We know they did it because of TV, but why are you doing this if you don't have to? And should you put in, say, tournament teams kind of in a little peril if they would lose a game they shouldn't? So I, I think I'm more on the side, Ed, of I don't see the necessity in playing these games because, mm -hmm. to me, you have Craig Thompson and the Mountain West deciding on a short-term reward versus a long-term reward, right? Like, right. like well, well, we got we to figure out, fill out the TV contract. Well, you don't want to fill out the TV contract by putting San Diego State having one of its trademark cold shooting games on the air and, you know, finding Bryce Hamilton running all over them and San Diego State losing by 10 and starting to hurt the cases for getting multiple teams into the league. I'm, I'm way on that side, and I think I'm even more on that side after watching Boise against San Diego this weekend because Boise has done very little to help its case for a right. potential at-large once it's gotten into the meat of its schedule in the second half here. So, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I agree with you. If you want to... if you know, win the game, win the game. I think the right. other thing about it is, is okay. So we're also going to take UNLV and send them up to Laramie, right? Yes. That, which I have, I mean, that has to be TV to play that game. I don't have any idea why they would send this anyone to Laramie at this point. I, I, well, I mean, period, end of story. Why yeah. would they send anybody to Laramie? <laughs> but, but you know, in this environment, so you're going to take the rebels and you're going to, you know, put everybody again in a small space and send them up to Laramie and increase your potential COVID exposure at a time when it could affect a game in the tournament, right? Like you're, you're that close to the tournament where there's a chance that you could end up affecting the tournament. So even beyond the NCAA, I, I think that the, the short-term benefit of filling out the TV deal here is not worth the long-term risk that the Mountain West is taking on. The coaches agree, and I think it's short-sighted on the conference's part. I want to ask you this. Uh, I've heard people on the UNLV side of things, and I, I, I tend to believe it. They, they're the ones, uh, I believe, who gave San Diego State their first loss last year. Uh, we remember them going down to uh, Viejas Arena and winning that game. Uh, they were deservedly really uh, jacked up about it. They went in the locker room. You saw TJ. They put the one on the record. I thought that was great for that program and team. Uh, I've heard things from on the, uh, the UNLV side of things I want to ask you about because I think people assume because it's Reno – that's kind of should be and is the main rivalry. I'll tell you what, though. I heard uh, someone from UNLV told me this the other day. They said, no, 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 no. Wednesday is our in-state tournament game. Our kids do not get up for anyone more than they will this game playing that team on Wednesday night. Uh, can you say that? Can you see that as the truth, that because of kind of the rivalry that's brewed between UNLV and San Diego State in basketball, not football, obviously, but in basketball, that these kids on, on Wednesday will be far more up than if they were playing Reno? And if you had told me that 12 months ago, I would have brushed it off. And I would have said, right. right, rivalries mean that two teams have to take turns winning. Not that one team smashes the other into the ground for as long as San Diego State have been doing it to UNLV 
over the last few years. But okay, now now there's something on the San Diego State side where you come back and say they probably want to make good for that game last year. I'll bounce it back to you about the Rebels because you're right. It's different than football because if you ask somebody about the Tony Sanchez era, nobody can remember when he beat San Diego State or when he didn't. They remember when he won the cannon. And there were some right. seasons where right. the only thing that you can hang the hat on is that he won the cannon. But do you do you feel like the Rebels look at this San Diego State game the way that the the folks at UNLV are telling you? I think the kids might. I, you know, obviously the school's always going to consider you know the Silver State rivalry and who's going to win that and and you know the Reno's you know blue and red and all that. I think you know administrators, maybe even coaches. I'm not so sure about that because I think at this point. Uh, you know, a few years ago when Musk had it going at Reno, it might have been a lot different, but, you know, they're a little down now with Alford. But I'm telling you what, I think the kids might treat this differently, Adam. I think they might be a little more up for it on Wednesday than they would be if, let's say, Reno was coming in here. I don't disagree with that idea. And, you know, I think for this UNLV team, from what we've seen over the last month or so, it might be realistic to say, this is their best chance to do something, right? Because this is not a team that I think anyone in the, in the conference looks at and says, oh, watch out for UNLV in the tournament. When we come back, we'll get to the front page. Like I said, Ryan Walsh, we're going to get back to VGK at 830 and ask him about he what he thinks of the team going into the wild game tonight. Might ask him a tout question or two. Flurry had something to say over the weekend. He does not play to prove anything to anybody. Uh, I want to ask the guys that at 830 about Mark andre Flurry's comments. But when we come back, it's front page. Paul Weir, goodbye, New Mexico.